0: You're listening to Square One, a podcast where we interview entrepreneurs, investors, and executives at the cutting edge of business. And I'm your host, Ramin Shah. Today's guest is Steve Schlafman, partner, at primary Ventures and leadership coach. You don't have to search high or low in the tech community today to find tips and tricks on every function of the business product, engineering, fundraising, it's all out there. But only recently have mindfulness, leadership, and mental health have become top topics. That founders and investors have started systematically talking about. I talked to one of the best advocates of mental health and coaching in the tech community today. Steve has a unique perspective on coaching some of the best early stage founders and we talked about the challenges and opportunities in the space. This episode was a ton of fun. Steve's authenticity is audible in his voice and it's no question why he's been such a great champion for founders. Welcome Steve and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Steve, you know, really excited to have you on the show today. We, you know, we have a bunch of investors come on and talk about their thesis and kind of particular areas of focus. And I'm really excited to dive into all things coaching with you. Uh, but before we jump great. in you know, more deeply, you've backed a bunch of great startups. Brightwheel, Boom Aerospace, which I love, by the way. I, I actually invested in their B. Bowery farming, care of and managed by Q. And you've really been ingrained in the New York investing landscape for about a decade or so. So tell us a little bit more about your background. Sure. Uh, well,
1: um, as, as you as you hinted, I am currently a partner at Primary Venture Partners, where a seed stage fund that exclusively focuses on New York City. And in addition to my role as a partner at primary, I am also a leadership coach. Through my private practice, I've been doing that for about a year now, and and absolutely love it. And so, uh, and I, I'm happy to go into more detail about about what I've done pr- previously. But you know, I've I've been trying to smash together these two disparate wor- worlds of investing and in coaching and leadership development.
0: Yeah, and so talk about that a little bit more, right? How did your passion for for coaching form? You know, talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a really great. Question. So, it's when, when I was in high school, it, it's funny. Everyone thought that I was going to be a coach, and, and in fact, my my high school yearbook like predicted that I was going to be a coach one day. Now, they probably thought I was going to be coaching a team, but I think there's a lot of core skills of, around coaching and leadership uh, of teams into uh, individuals. And and I, getting to the heart of the question for me, like one of my core values is service. Uh, I, I had noticed through interactions with both my wife, who happens to be a CEO and a founder, and a number of my friends who are founders, and the conversations that I was having with them outside of work were very different than the conversations I was having with the companies and the founders that I had invested in. And what I noticed through these these side discussions you know for my wife it was her coming home every night and talking about her company the uh, it was just it, it it dawned on me that it wasn't just like around metrics and and sort of these like existential questions around like um you know what what do i need like strategy like what do i need to survive it was more like how do i How do I actually build the team and deal with all of the people issues? And I like to say that uh, whether it's a venture capital firm or a startup or a large organization like Microsoft, where I used to work, it's just a bucket of people problems. And so for me, coaching really became attractive when I started to see these issues come up in these discussions. And I was like, wow, like there's so much more depth that's possible and so that was really the impetus and then probably about three years ago long before I took the plunge I was talking with my wife and I said you know I think I actually want to be a coach and she said well you you've always wanted to teach so why don't you just coach and teach when you retire in 20 years and I left my job at RRE Ventures about 18 months ago and I knew that I was going to be in a transition. And I, I, I used that opportunity to go back to school and, and really dive
0: headfirst into the profession. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think if you, if you actually kind of break it down, right, this kind of element of coaching, I like, I like your framing of how, you know, large organizations, small organizations, if you really unbundle it, it's really just a bucket of people, right? And so if you, mm-hmm. if you were to distill it down, you know, how would you define a coach and what are the key characteristics that make a good coach?
1: Yeah, my role as a coach is to help someone cross the chasm between where they are today and where they want to go in the most simplistic form. And I fundamentally believe that most of us, if not all of us, have a sense as to like where we want to go and the direction that we want to move in, what we need and what we value to have a fulfilling life or to be happy. but many of us, myself included, have a hard time taking that action and then removing the barriers that, that come in our way on that journey. And so I think that's exactly where a coach can help. And so it's honestly, I don't think it's it's just uh, related to work. I mean, my work as a leadership coach, as I support, you know, a handful of, of CEOs, you know, we, we get into everything, life and you know their their personal lives and relationships all the way through work stuff and so um you know it's hard to it's hard to make progress on where you want to go without factoring in both
0: of those those elements and so as an as an investor how do you how do you put this into practice and tactically coach you know founders leaders at at startups right how do you help cross the chasm
1: Yeah. And so so it's a great question. And I think I think it's hard to to, I I think coaching and investing are very different. And the lenses that the lens that I that I put on, right, the glasses are very different. And so there is honestly some context switching. And there are times where I have to remind myself that it's like, okay, now I need to wear my investor hat. Versus, like, I need to wear my coaching hat because at the end of the day, being a coach is like full in service of the of the of the client. Like, sure, I have almost twenty years of experience, and I can certainly give them my perspective, and and many times they want to hear that. However, like, my job is to meet them where they are and hold their agenda, and so like, I don't try to impose anything on them. And so, since I have a fiduciary responsibility to our limited partners, oftentimes like fully holding the client's agenda and, and supporting them can be at odds with the goals of the fund. And that's not to say that like, I'm, I'm constantly conflicted. I I actually think I do a good job at this, but so, so the point is, is that it, 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 I need to balance the two. Now that said, like, I think characteristics of a good coach also, um it can be translated to a good investor that's supportive and so for me there i you know there's there's a number of them but as a coach i like to say to my clients that want to be able to have stronger communication skills with their team and become better listeners i said you need to one of the things i i like to say is you can listen with both your eyes and your ears Mm -hmm. and so there's so much that we can pick up on if we just tune in so not only what the person is saying, but how they're saying it, and we've developed—meaning humans have developed so much intelligence over a million years, where there's so much nonverbal communication that takes place. But if we're not fully present, we miss a lot of that. And so that's something that I think is a characteristic of a good coach. The other is I think being able to reflect back what I'm what I'm seeing. And so, or what I'm hearing. And so the next is be able to synthesize and, and and distill things, you know, and because there are times where, you know, one of my clients will, and for good reason, go on a long rant and, and not to, to be long-winded. It's just, they're trying to process, you know, what they're experiencing in that moment. And what I'll try to do is then like, take my interpretation of it synthesize it summarize it and then reflect it back to them and so a a lot of these skills i think are very relevant to to being an investor another great characteristic is being a champion right and acknowledging um skit like strengths and 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 areas that the the leader is incredibly capable i think it's rare for an investor to to say to, to like give compliments and champion uh, entrepreneurs. I, I think it's becoming more commonplace, but it, uh, you know, I've talked to a number of, of, of founders who feel like they've never been seen or, or, or appreciated by investors. And so I think championing is, a, is another characteristic. I think the ability to ask really thoughtful questions. I, I, I have been saying this for a long time, but my job as an investor and certainly as a coach isn't to have the answers, it's to ask the questions and know who can, in the case of an investor, know who can give me the best, the most appropriate and accurate answer. In the case of, of a coaching uh, engagement, it's just to ask questions to help them trigger different parts of their brain so that they can create more awareness around whatever we're trying to work on and then you know i'll sort of go through a few more the one is account a, a few more characteristics would include accountability you know just ensuring that um that the client and and the the founder is 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 following through on what they they they, they say they're going to my job as a coach is to help them see that there's way more possibility than, than we can even see, you know. I, I, I by my knocking uh, McKinsey consultants, I've worked with plenty of them in my day, especially when I was on a strategy team at Microsoft. But I think there are times where it's sort of like you, you you narrow things down to sort of like three bullet points or big ideas, and then you do the then you go in the deep dive into the analysis. My job as a coach is to help people see that there's an infinite amount of possibility. And so I think that's the same um, with a founder is, uh, you know, oftentimes it's like rather than restricting you know, the set of opportunities. How can we, how can we think bigger and expand our perspective? And so those to me are the characteristics of a great coach and, and just a few, right? Just like a handful of them, like there's certainly more, but I think a lot of those also
0: translate into being a great investor. I like the, I like the framing a lot of kind of opening up the opportunity set as well as kind of doubling down on, on strengths and, and this kind of idea of putting kind of an ecosystem and infrastructure, um, <clears throat> surrounding um, you know the person that you're working with. You had a really good post up uh, on you know finding your voice, and there are a ton of nuances in it. Uh, but what I really appreciated the most is kind of this idea of getting started and persistence. And I, I think it it relates very heavily to some of the key characteristics you were just talking about. You know I had I had Leo Polovitz from. Suits of Ventures on the podcast a couple episodes ago, and we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, compounding and and the basic idea was basically, you know, a small, consistent exercise over a respectable duration of time can really, really be powerful. So talk a little bit more about this kind of idea of finding your voice and especially as it relates to some of the key characteristics of a good coach.
1: Sure. Well, I, I think it it makes sense to start out um, at the impetus for, for why I decided to read that, uh, write that blog post. And I this must have been back in the fall or, or maybe late summer. I was introduced to a, a super talented young man who is, like me, is passionate about personal growth and technology. And he had been developing a new system grounded in research to help others drive change in their lives, both personally and professionally. And so before our video call, I visited his website, his Twitter feed, only to discover that he hadn't shared much over the years. And so I couldn't really learn a lot about him. And so when we were talking, I thought to myself, wow, this guy is so smart, and he has so much knowledge to share with the world, yet he's not using these tools to distribute and amplify his work and so i decided to ask him why that was the case and he was said he said to me like i haven't found my voice mm. and at that moment i was like wow if this guy who's so thoughtful and spends his life like waiting in personal growth and development and 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 psychology and human performance and, you know, he's not finding it like there's a bunch of others that must be in that position. And so I, I think that express like voice is expression, voice is communication, it's creation, it's confidence, it's power. I kept on hearing this word, I haven't found my voice in my head over and over. So I decided to write a post. So that's a little bit of the context. And for, you know, my, my job as a coach is to help as I said earlier, to help my clients, founders, um, believe enough that if you get started, you will, you will move closer towards whatever your ultimate vision is. And so, you know, finding your voice, like first you have to believe in yourself just enough to get started. And that could even be a 30 minute brainstorm. So you just have to get started. And the second point that I made in the post was really viewing work as a practice, right? Like, Oftentimes we think of like, and, and I ser- I'm certainly guilty of this, as like pushing out a, a post and it's final and, and you can never go back. But it, it, at the end of the day, it really is practice. And, and, we, and, and it's a big reason why I love meditation because, you know, meditation is very much a practice where if I'm on my cushion or, or taking a seat and I find myself drifting off, and get distracted. I don't beat myself up because I come right back to my breath. And so, seeing your work and your creative work as a practice is really key. Um, the The next is the next point that I made in the post is that the medium matters. Some people like you, you love podcasting, right? It's a great format. For me, I love Twitter. It's short. It's punchy. Um, other people love. Um, YouTube and video. And so the point is, is that the medium really matters. And, and the other point that I made in in the post was about this idea of listening to your inner voice, not your inner critic. Like there have been so many times in my own life where I've wanted to write a post and it was just like burning inside of me. And then next thing they're like Josh Koppelman or Hunter Walk or Fred Wilson will write about the same exact topic that I had been thinking about like two months later. And and so I in those instances, I, I was lazy. And so it's important, and that's a that's a lot of work uh, that I do with founders is around finding like really honing into like what you want deep down inside and listening to your needs and values. Um, the, the next point that I made in the post is just around this idea of being patient and persi- persistent, like this is going to take a long time. Like if you're, if you're recording a podcast, the first handful of times, it's going to probably not be great. It, it might be good, but when you get to your 40th episode, like I, I believe this is your 40th, I bet it's much, much more comfortable, much stream- much more streamlined. And so it doesn't happen overnight. And then the last few points that i made in the post was being genuine right like really be like being in your own skin and not trying to emulate someone else and developing your own tone following your own values following your own interests like follow what you truly care about and to me it's like if you honor who you are and what matters most to you and what you're passionate about like the voice will be distinct i have so many people that have come to me over, particularly in the last two to three years. And they're like, wow, like your Twitter followings, like really exploded. Um, you know, I really like your blogging. And they're like, what do you, what have you done to like increase your followers? And I was like, I haven't done, like this hasn't been a, like a thoughtful, like I didn't like have a strategy session in terms, of, I just started to share what was on my mind and the things that I genuinely cared about. And so being genuine is really important. And then finally, which I think we all fall into this trap, myself included, which is around this idea of like comparing yourself to others. Like if I'm going to go out and start a company, like I probably shouldn't compare myself to to Elon Musk, or if I'm going to start a podcast or an interview series, I probably shouldn't compare myself to Larry King. Right. Um, like, focus on the voice, on the output and weekly improvements over time. And if you, if you're committed, your mission and persist come together. And so I don't know if that answered your question. I sort of, that was a long winded response, but those are, that's how I, the, that's how I think about finding your voice
0: and captures the essence of the of of the post no i I think it i think it answered the question and more and i'm I'm actually going to link the post in um you know in the in the bio for the podcast because i think it's a really really important piece of work um and it really resonated with me so i'd love to have more you know people check it out there are a ton of nuggets there um and some of the ones that resonated the most to me were just kind of this idea of you know one getting started uh two persistence and then three um you know, practicing versus perfecting. I, I've, had, I've had a lot of personal experiences where it's a similar kind of thing where you know, I've thought through something, I've kind of written a draft, haven't really published it, and then you know, a month and a half later, someone that's you know more significantly more well known in, in the tech circles um, you know writes about the same topic. And I think there's a there's a part of that earlier in your career too, which is kind of belief that you have something of value to add. Um, and I think it's pretty easy to talk yourself off that, you know, hey, maybe I have limited experience or, you know, uh, maybe I find this interesting, but I'm, sure I'm missing, you know, a pretty fundamental assumption. Otherwise, you know, why isn't this already out there? So I think a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of the aspect is, is kind of focusing on things are practiced, they're not perfected, voice out mm-hmm. there, right? Get started. And you're exactly right on the on the podcast piece, too, which is I listen back to some of our first episodes. And in fact, I say, man, I actually want to call those guests back on the show.
1: I'm sure <laughs> of it. You know, you've invested hundreds of hours into exactly. this podcast. That's that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think like when as I as I was listening to you, you share your experience. I, I was thinking of my friend Samil Shah, who runs a fund in Silicon Valley, called Haystack. He's a very close friend. And I think of Samil, right? Who, you know, didn't have the traditional Valley background and, you know, just kind of is in some ways like an enigma. sort of, you know, rose out of nowhere and largely on the back of Twitter and his blog, right? And he just put himself out there and he developed a unique voice and he's arguably one of the the most successful seed investors in 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 all of uh, in all of tech right now and you know he he developed voice and but that was honed
0: over you know over the last decade yeah it's it's really the power i think of some of the tools that are out there now and just getting your voice out there i think if you have an an interesting perspective a lot of the kind of old school networks, old school geographic barriers can be broken through. So that that's you know that's certainly uh, it's certainly an exciting exciting kind of piece. You know, Steve, tell me when you when you think about kind of when you look across um, you know others outside of tech, outside of business. One of the things I'm most fond of is learning from those that are kind of great or excellent in their own domains. Um, and then trying to apply principles of that into you know my particular environment or my particular set of experiences. Who are the best coaches you know, across any domain that, that you admire and, and why? Yeah, it,
1: it, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, well, the, uh, the first person that, can't, that that comes to mind, is actually uh, my one of my my teachers and facilitators for for the certification course. Her name is Sharon Brown, and she does not come from the tech world. In fact, she has a, a community and social justice background. And Sharon is is a just such an incredible teacher, but b an amazing coach. And I learned so much about her because she's using her, her coaching, not to go into organizations, but to really go into her local community and to, of course, train the next generation of coaches. And I learned so much from her, not necessarily about like the, the art of coaching, which there was plenty of that, but also about how culture race and power and some of these like really, uh, meaty topics like impact us as our coach as coaches and, and certainly our clients. And so when I, when I show up, you know, I'm, I'm not just looking at my client from the standpoint of their work, but like a full lens on where did they come from? Who are their influences? What shaped them to become like who they are? Um, where did they grow up? Like, all of that like cultural and historical background is really, really important. So I I think that's one of the things that I learned just a tremendous amount from Sharon, and and she's just an amazing coach, and I I particularly love that she doesn't come from our world of of tech. The other coach that that comes to mind, uh, and he's obviously a big reason why I decided to, to become a coach, is Jerry Colonna, who I've done some work with both in terms of a participant in one of his workshops uh, at Reboot, which is the company that he founded and, and runs, I have also done some, some coaching. And, and he's a big reason why I got into the business. And if, if for those of you who are listening don't know Jerry, I would encourage you to, to check out his podcast, the, the, the Reboot podcast. But he, he's a big influence as well. And and then finally, uh, I'm such a big uh, student uh, on and strategy, and just more broadly than just coaching. And and you know, obviously, with the Patriots having just won their sixth Super Bowl, I am I'm just like the biggest Bill Belichick fanboy. And there's so many things that I've learned from watching that team. Um, but but certainly in his tenure as a coach, um, just like how to build an organization that really is is above uh, all the others and can endure a level of success that's arguably never seen before. And so I'm just such a huge Bill Belichick fan and think he's, I mean, he's he's arguably the greatest coach of all time in any professional. Yeah, sport.
0: I won't I hold the Patriots and Bill Belichick against you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, 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 what I will say is, it's you know, even if you aren't a fan of the Patriots, which um, which I'm certainly not, they they ruined the the hope of my home team Atlanta winning probably a Super Bowl in the next hundred years. Uh, you have to respect kind of the greatness and the consistency. So I, I can definitely see that piece let' let's switch gears a little bit um, and talk more about you know coaching and investing and not from the perspective of what we were talking about a little bit earlier in the podcast of how they are kind of fundamental different disciplines um, but more so I'm interested in in your perspective on you know coaching and kind of management training startups uh, that are coming up yeah uh, I've seen I, I've been seeing yeah, a lot of it I I really you know it's interesting because I think the vast majority of the ones that I've seen are kind of these marketplace type businesses. Um, and, and one of the things I kind of question there is, you know, the propensity for platform leakage. Um, and I've seen that in, in a lot of these types of particular types of marketplaces. Um, but there's a lot of different things that are coming up, right? It's not just marketplaces. It's technology tools. It's, it's all sorts of different things. How do you think about the space, especially, you know, not just from your investor hat, but obviously from someone that's a coach and a potential either, you know, facilitator on some of these marketplace platforms, a user of some of the technologies. Um, how do you think about the space uh, as it's constructed today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest with you, I'm still building out my
1: mental map and developing my thesis. Um, but that, but, but, I think the point is, is I've been spending a lot of time digging into sort of leadership and development b- more broadly. And I do believe there's a bunch of white spaces. Now, I think the fundamental question worth asking are like, are these venture scale type businesses, right? Versus, versus um, businesses that actually can, can become like really solid um, cash flowing sustainable companies. And so I think that's one of the big questions now you know, we, we've seen, and I, I like to call them, I, I should write a blog post on this, but, you know, we've seen just a proliferation of um, coaching being delivered into enterprises, you know, certainly small, medium and large enterprises through technology platforms that then, you know, have sort of coaching on top. And so things like, you know I think torch is is a relatively new one better up there's a few here in New York uh, primary is an investor in bravely there's a company called sage there, there's a whole slew of them um, and and so I I, I tend to call it coaching farms right like if you look at uh, the the rates that coaches are being paid on a, a lot of these platforms it, it isn't as high as the rate that they could get elsewhere and Talking to a lot of the coaches, they're they're often um, forgoing like a higher rate in terms of not having to deal with the administrative burden and going out and 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 retaining clients. So so I think like that's one of the interesting dynamics is at what point like how sustainable is it for the coach? You know, if you're getting paid seventy five dollars an hour, um, you know, is that is that enough in order to maintain your lifestyle? Um, and I know for some coaches, yes. And for others, no. And, and they, they might supplement, um, their hours doing something else. And so I think, so, so the space, So I think to, to get back up, like these coach, like there's definitely an opportunity there. I think the question is, is like right now it's sort of the wild West and everybody's, it's a land grab and everyone's trying to get it. The the other question I have is like, are the margins, you know, that, like good enough over time, right. It, it's definitely a human capital business. And so, um, you know, if there's churn on the coaching side, like, is this something where it's like a, a, a truly great enterprise software business, or does it look more like a marketplace with, you know, a 20 to 30% VIG? Uh, I don't know. And so I, am sort of, I'm, I'm sort of rambling now, but, uh, You know, I I do see the coaching farms, the coaching in enterprise as an opportunity. I'm also seeing a lot more work around like helping managers manage better, right? Particularly first-time managers. So I've been seeing a lot in that space. I've been seeing a lot of software that sits in between managers and their employees. So the point is, is, I think we're early days, Um, but again, that's more on like the enterprise side. And then I'm starting to see things pop up on the, on the, um, on the consumer side. And so a friend of mine has started a company called absorb that I really like. And it's just sent, she sends out a daily, uh, recording via text. That's like a five minute sort of coaching prompt. And so I like what she's doing. Um, I, uh, again, like not sure if that's a venture scale thing, at least in its current iteration. But I think what she's hitting on something really important because she's doing it in a way that's democratizing access to coaching ideas um, on the enterprise side. Now that I'm sort of on a tangent, um, there's a company that I saw called Rooster that I think is, is, is quite interesting, which is selling into enterprises, but instead of uh doing sort of traditional coaching 30 to 60 minute uh coaching sessions it does a 10-minute call in the huh. morning just to walk through your day and so that you employees can get the most out of their day i really like that concept um just from a pure conceptual from a business model i think you know there's there's some challenges around the economics i think they're trying to solve for some of those and i think that's clever I think the URL is uh, highrooster.com. Um, Don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, so there's just, there's so much happening and, and I see a bunch of white space. And um, yeah. I think for me, anything that is increasing exposure and access to coaching is a good thing because at the end of the day, coaches are, are really in service to their clients to help them get the most out of their life or their career? Yeah, I think there's,
0: there's two ways that I look at it, I, which is, you know, one is kind of the macro level and one's the micro level. And at the macro level, I love the proliferation of these types of business space because I think it brings a significant amount of awareness, education, um, and, and frankly, just capability on something that's that's really, really important. At the micro level, I think there's a bunch of questions around unit economics, particular business models, and I'm not quite, I haven't found myself quite sold on um, you know any, any of the kind of coaching marketplaces just yet, primarily because of the margin issue. The, one, the, the Absorb and Rooster examples are, are really interesting, and it, it kind of ties into my next question for you, which is this idea of receptivity of, of coaching and feedback. So I, I've seen a lot of value of coaching and feedback from you know some of my work at McKinsey when you know when I was at McKinsey I spent some of my time working on McKinsey Academy, which is the firm's kind of client capability building hub. Uh, but one of the hmm. things that I saw a lot and noticed a lot was there's deep skepticism that gets attached to it. So the way that you describe Rooster and Absorb, you know, on one hand, it's um, I kind of put my you know my learning my coaching hat on and I say, you know. Uh, Ninety percent of the value is actually not in kind of deep literature on you know how to give feedback or um, you know being able to be coached, et cetera. Ninety percent of the value is actually just getting a couple simple frameworks, really ingraining it in your day to day and doing it kind of over and over again. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's a it's a hurdle to battle through, though, um, especially in the enterprise setting because of the skepticism and, and a lot of the the sentiment, frankly, that. You know, hey, these are just kind of basic skills, you know, A, either why do I need to learn them or B, you know, of course, obviously everybody has them. What are some of the challenges that you see kind of in, in the business environment with respect to receptivity around coaching and feedback?
1: Yeah, I I think we're still early days, to be honest with you. Um, it. It feels to me that we're still in the first or second inning of this, and so it's going to take a little while. Um, and I think for good reason, right? Like at the end of the day, like can you attach a hard ROI to a coaching session? Probably not. But if you were to go and ask my clients whether it's valuable, they would. They would say absolutely. Like I, it, it, this is one of the things I look forward to most each every other week, right? And it, I get a lot of you out of it. And so I think there's like this this debate around hard versus soft ROI. Um, one thing I will say, and it's something I've been thinking a lot about. Like the reality is, and all due respect to those who have have gotten an MBA or undergrad biz degree, I don't believe that that the academic institutions are truly educating the next generation of leaders in terms of like how to actually lead, right? And there are three kinds of leadership that are critical that are not being taught, even though, you know, there is, there is some skepticism, right? But there's the leadership of the self, right? Self-leadership. There's Leadership of other human beings and employees. And then there's you know leadership of an organization, right? If I go and I talk to my friends who went to Stanford, which I've talked to many of them and gotten their MBA, you know what they'll say is like, you know, the value is in the network. And I'll say, well, what other classes did you take that you got value out of? And like almost every single one is like the only class that I really loved the most was interpersonal 100%. dynamics, which is which is known as touchy-feely. And I believe that millennials yep. want this yep. right like we we want we want to lead we want to show up authentically and we want people to help us get there right and so i guess I'll, I'll, I'll get off my tangent but i i do think it's early and i don't believe the existing institutions companies included are really investing in the kinds of things that are required to increase leadership capacity in
0: in the next generation. I think that's completely right, right? Like what you said resonates very, very well with me, largely because of my own personal experience. So, you know, I didn't get an MBA, but I ended up obviously in the business world and and I went to uh, Harvard for law school. And one of the things when I was in the law school that the law school prided itself on was being this, you know, kind of hub that teaches you Uh, how to be a great leader, right? Many alumni of the school are are great leaders in business, government, et cetera. And one of the things I I found when I came into the real world was, you know, if I kind of look back, there was probably one course that I took. It was a negotiation workshop that was by far the most valuable because it had some semblance of practical skills, but really everything that I've learned about leadership, training, development, et cetera, has been very hands-on from the field and just, frankly, working with and observing humans and and psychology and learning psychology and and their characteristics and tendencies. Um, and I think the academic institutions are actually very, uh, not well slated, you know, to help, to help teach some of these capabilities as, as the world moves forward. Um, well, and and I, and,
1: and you just said something that, that really resonated, which is like, you actually have to observe humans yep. in the field, and I believe that. This, and and not saying that people aren't doing this, but to me, the way that you really have to attack this, 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 um, the, these concepts—whether it's having difficult conversations, or giving feedback, or how to conduct a one-on-one, like whatever the topic is. Um, like that I think the optimal way to teach these concepts is to share frameworks and then have a learning lab environment where you're simulating a lot of these kinds of situations and so rather than going from where you have a lecturer where they're just talking where it's more like okay here's basic here's a basic frame or backed by research or backed through like through a lot of practice. And then like we're just gonna spend the next hour practicing yep. and really honing these skills. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's that's one thing I've seen a ton of idea of uh, I was talking about it a little bit earlier, but especially through some of the work that I'd done at McKinsey Academy when I was at McKinsey, was this idea of you know introducing kind of basic frameworks. Um, and and giving people a forum to actually consistently practice those, right? It wasn't getting into the 100 pages of literature on feedback principles and feedback fundamentals, but it was really giving kind of a note card size of, you know, this is how you give feedback, and this is how you receive feedback. And then you have to try it for yourself in different circumstances with different personalities, with different power dynamics, right, with different kind of socio-demographics, whether it's, you know, gender, race, et cetera, to figure out kind of what works for you and how you actually, how you actually instill it. Talk, talk a little bit though, Steve, about um, you know, some of the leaders at your portfolio companies and that you admire right, and what makes them kind of great founders and leaders. Because I'm always interested um, to hear the perspective of you know, coaches that observe great leaders. And I think the coach has as much to often learn from those great leaders as, as the leader does from the coach. So talk talk about some more of your kind of portfolio company leaders you admire. I am
1: in the process of writing a blog post around my human centric approach to venture capital, which, you know, includes like how I evaluate opportunities combined with how I support the companies that I'm, I'm fortunate to work with. And the first sort of pillar is defining what it means to be a strong leader. And I've been honing this for 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 over over almost almost a decade now and as i was as i was as i'm i'm refining this i was thinking back to a lot of the leaders that i've been lucky to work with and for me like some of the names that come to mind is and you're you're also an investor in boom aerospace but certainly blake uh blake shoal who I, I absolutely love and just have a tremendous amount of respect and confidence in, but I, I flew out to, to Denver when he was raising his seed round and I just spent a half a day with him and some of his executive teams. And I said, this guy is trying to put an airplane in the sky that flies at supersonic speed. Like what are the chances of him doing this? Probably under yeah. 1%. Really like, being able to pull this off. And I was like, but the level of conviction that this guy is speaking with, the amount of time that he's been thinking about this problem, the initial team that he's pulled together, like convincing um, airlines to sign LOIs to say that they would be interested in in a supersonic uh, jet uh, program, Right. Like and a half a day with him. And I get I I remember getting in an Uber from from the airfield outside of Denver. And I call my partner at the time when I was at when I was a principal at RE Ventures, I called my partner, Will Porteous. And I just said, we have to invest in this company. The leader is, you know, Blake. uh, And I had known Blake from a previous life, but it was just all about him and his vision and his ability to articulate it and just like, you know, just show that that there was there was one percent of chance of success, and that's all I needed to see in that case. Other leaders that I really admire, um, Brandon Weber, who was uh, it, was the the co-founder of a company called High Tower. They merged with their largest competitor called View the Space. I was a seed investor, and then subsequently was on the board. And Brandon is just an incredible leader. Um, he You know, he he is incredibly product centric. He not only was a commercial real estate broker, but before he was a broker, he spent he was a computer engineering guy at Carnegie Mellon and then, you know, a PM on the Excel team for nearly five years. And so incredibly product centric, incredible founder market fit. Just an insane amount of tenacity and grit. I mean, you know, Brandon climbed some of the largest mountains in the world, so you just know that this guy isn't isn't gonna isn't gonna slack. Like he's gonna grind and he's gonna go through the highs and the lows just based on his lifestyle. And, you know, he's someone who's incredibly execution oriented, right? Like every single board meeting would start with, "Okay, here are the KPIs that we said we were going to hit." Here's how we did, and his ability to really build. Uh, he has incredibly strong personal values, and and in really built a special culture. And those are just a few of the things that I look for. But that certainly tip, like describes you know Brandon to a T. And then finally, I would say that um, my wife Eliza, who is the founder and CEO of a company called The Sill, I've learned so much through her journey. And I actually wrote a post about this um, probably three or four years ago about how I've learned so much uh, from her and that, you know, through my experience interacting with her as a founder, in, in, in a lot of ways, it's helped me become a better investor and certainly as a coach. And I don't, I don't look at her financial models. I don't tell her how to run her company. It like for up at the end of the day. And if I need to be a coach, I'm a coach. If I need to be a husband, I'm a husband. If I need to be a cheerleader, I'll be a cheerleader. But seeing her lead her company has been incredibly inspiring. And she has a lot of the same characteristics that Brandon had, amazing product market fit, right? She's obsessed with plants, very product centric, right? Like obsessed about product and delighting the, the, the customer certainly has tenacity and grit, right? Bootstrapped the company for over five years and, and literally didn't take a salary for a long, long time, you know, over five years, um, you know, the ability to lead and can build and inspire a high-performing team. So, you know, she's someone that's on a mission. She's incredibly analytical. And, and I, I also think like, and this isn't about my wife, but in general, like I, I like to work with leaders that are a bit quirky and yeah. weird. Um, you know, like I'll never forget when when I went to go see Boom Aerospace. Um, I was staying in Boulder at the time, and Blake from Boom was like, "You know, I can just fly, I, I can just fly a plane over to Boulder and pick you up, so you don't have to, you don't have to be in an Uber for an hour." right? Now, my wife would never let me get in a plane with someone else. Um, but like, I just love that. It was just like, this is so quirky and weird,
0: but amazing. Yeah, the the conviction piece that you mentioned is something that I think as I've started to talk to more founders or make more investments is something that I've, I've started to deeply believe in more and more. You know, when I, uh, you know, four or five years ago, when I was kind of more of an uh, outsider observer, I'd love to listen to interviews from, you know, the great folks like Mark Andreessen, Chris Sacca, just some of the greatest investors of our time. And one thing that always stuck with me um, that, you know, Chris Sacca would say would would be this idea of, you know, when he talked to Kevin Systrom at Instagram, he, you know, he just saw the kind of conviction and, and this kind of vision to blow through the rest of the world. And to be honest, at that time, a lot of me kind of gave a big eye roll to that and said, hey, come on, right? How can you actually how can you know some of these things? That that sounds like a nice kind of prepackaged story. Uh, if you reverse engineer, but proactively looking, it's it's kind of tough to assess. But I have to say, now that you know, I made a couple investments. Some of the founders I've interacted with, you know, someone like Blake, for example, you listen to him speak, and he makes you believe. And you're totally right, right? If you if any rational uh, if any rational person tried to set out to do what they're doing at Boom. I think they would have quit, right? Because there's four million ways to fail before there's kind of the way to succeed. Um, but there's just this kind of deep conviction um, that's that's really, really um, attractive and, and it, it parlays into being able to hire the right talent, right? Being able to set the core mission for the company, being able to make investors believe, being able to make kind of the media, the world, future customers believe, right? So it, yeah.
1: Yeah. There, there, there's a lot of sa- like salesmanship,
0: yeah. but not like exactly. snake oil
1: salesmanship. Involved. Like I actually, yeah, I, I I was actually in a, in a pitch meeting earlier this week and the founder, she, she is amazing. Like I really enjoyed the meeting and very, very focused on the customer and the problem set and just, you know, just super thoughtful. And I, towards the end of the conversation, I said, okay, I get a general sense as to like what you're what you're building and sort of what the path looks like over the next 18 months. Now I want us to close our eyes and I want us to be transported to the year 2025. What does the company look like? And not just from a product standpoint, but how are what does the company, the organization, look like? And she Got a huge smile on her face, and she's like, "I've never been asked that question before," and then gave a very thoughtful response in terms of you know how she sees the company developing. But one of the things that I often say, uh, I often say to my partners when I'm when we're evaluating opportunities together is the sequencing matters, right? Like, you know. It, when Uber started, they started with a black car, and then they slowly expanded yep. into different new lines and, and verticals. And, you know, just like Instagram, they started with just the photo and the filter. And then over time, they expanded the feature set. And so I always like to uh, to focus on n- not only like what the initial like small, thin wedges but then how does it expand over time? And and having while I understand that companies are gonna bob and weave and pivot, and it's never gonna be a linear path, like having clarity on that sequencing is something that I I always look for. And that goes back to sort of clarity of
0: vision, conviction about the opportunity, and so on and so yeah, forth. Yeah, I think there's a there's a fine line between being able to say, over the next eight years, we're going to take you know steps one through fifty-seven, and this is going to be the exact order. I think I think that's virtually impossible to do. Naturally, also because I think as you grow your as you grow your business and things like network effects, et etc., start to kick in, there's all sorts of derivative products or, or derivative things that you can start to start to do. But I think there is this piece around, and you know we're talking about boom a lot. I'll kind of point boom out as another example. Um, there is clarity. Like if you ask Blake that question of, hey, where are you in 10 years? There's crystal clarity about what is, you know, where are we kind of in the in the market for supersonic flight? Where are we in terms of the technology for supersonic flight? Right. And then, you know, what are the kind of byproduct effects that go downstream into the organization and the company? Right. It's a yeah. it's a fine line, but I, I really like that question, actually. I'm gonna steal that from you and, and ask that to founders that I talk to now. That's a very, very interesting insight. Steve, talk a little bit more about, you know, completely switching gears, but talk a little bit more about your annual review process. This is something completely different from what, you know, we've talked about in this conversation. You had a post up about this, and I, I just thought it was really thoughtful. And specifically, I liked how you found an effective way to balance kind of data and input tracking with you know, what you're specifically trying to measure. So talk about that a little bit more. I think it can be actually pretty, very useful for, for a lot of the folks listening to this podcast. Sure. It, well, it, it was a very fun post
1: to write, although I have a three-month at home. So when I was <laughs> writing it, she was probably a month. And so I was I, I, I wrote the post literally in 30-minute increments over two weeks because I didn't have that much time <laughs> But basically the, 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 essence of the post is that the holiday season meaning the end of the year is often my favorite time of the year. It symbolizes so much for me, certainly family and friends and vacation. And I, because it, it sort of is a clean mark of the end of the year and the beginning of a new one. And so I always think it's a great time to sit back and reflect on the previous 12 months, and then define what we need to achieve in the year ahead. The reality is by the time New Year's rolls around, we often forget most of what's happened because life gets in the way. And so because of that dynamic, I started to carve out time at the end of the year to conduct a comprehensive annual life review. And that the process for me has been incredibly cathartic, but also illuminating and certainly empowering and in fact, this exercise has helped me identify like what I truly value and what's important It shed light on what isn't. And it's me in, in many ways. Like as a result of this process, I decided to get sober. I left a job that wasn't the right fit. I pursued coaching as a perfection, profession. Those are just a few. And so what I did was like, how can I create a post that lays out this blueprint and um, gives everybody the tools to complete their own. And the response was was overwhelmingly positive. I think I got t- I, the, the post had been viewed something like a hundred thousand times and shared. You know, certainly thousands. And um, it just is is a very very useful process. And so there, it's a multi step process. I always recommend that people take uh, a fair amount of time and they don't do it in one setting, right? And so it takes at least a week to complete. Um, You you need to have the time to carefully review and internalize and complete the the exercises. And I tend to recommend blocking out several 30 to 60 minute sessions. And I find that a week, 10, like the week around Christmas tends to work pretty well because many of us are away from work. And then the second big recommendation is I I recommend sort of shutting off all distractions and having it deep and focused. And then going back to the third point that I'm going to make, going back to my find your voice, be genuine, be bold. Nobody is going to see this on you. And so without like that, and then the sort of the final point that I made was like, it's not meant to be prescriptive. Like you can take bits and pieces. And so I think with that, like, it's a four-step process the first is around like plotting out your moments and milestones from the previous year so by go like a timeline from the previous year and so the purpose of that is to sort of unearth all the things that happened just to get a sense as to okay this is what happened throughout the year and for me like when i started to actually like plot that out certainly for the last year I, i was like wow like you know i began a new job Um, you know, I found out my wife was pregnant I started coaching. Um, I landed my first coaching client. Um, I traveled to sweet, like I, it, it just provided a lot of context. And then once I had that in the second step was, okay, now let's reflect and examine what really took place. And so, um, so for me, it's like, looking at your success. What I did was like looking at your successes and failures, relationships, lessons and learn. So I, I take the reader through a series of these questions around success and failure and falling short, people in relationships, lessons and themes. And then once there's sort of all of that's unearthed about the previous year, it's like, okay, well, where are we today? So the third step is assessing your life right now across, I think it's nine dimensions, you know, everything from health to to sort of how your relationship with technology, and the whole idea is that that assessment, which is sim, 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 similar to like I think the what's known as the wheel of life, and it captures your satisfaction in the major areas of life. So now it's like, okay, this is my past year. Now that's step one and two. The third step is like, okay, where am I currently? And then step four is let's plan for the new year and so it asks you know there's a bunch of there's a series of questions that walk through goals and growth how do you move on from the previous year what are some habit like how well, how do you think about habits and behaviors fears and obstacles relationships and then finally sort of moving into next steps and planning for the new year and so the response of this post was just overwhelmingly positive. I, I got an email from a father who said who said that he had been building a startup for the last five years. His son is now, uh, I think, was, his son is around is around twelve, and you know, a few years ago he was into coding and outdoors. And he's because his son has been addicted to startup or sorry to video games. And the father said that his addiction to work and his work schedule probably contributed to the changes in his son's behavior and he was working on the annual life review and his son came in and asked his dad what he was working on and so his dad told them about the post and they had like this really special moment and then he and his son actually did the exercise together and so hearing story I mean that's just one example of like a bunch of different ones that I heard that were just really really uh, inspiring and and made the whole exercise and, and the, the process of writing the the post well
0: worth yeah it. it's it's one of the things that uh, I'll definitely link the link the post in in uh, in, in the medium post here uh, because it's one of the it's actually an exercise you know my wife and I we sat down once you published it and we tried it for ourselves it's a really Really, just good uh, grounding exercise of, of looking back and reflection, um, and then you know using it from a proactive perspective of saying, you know, where do you want your where do you want your next year to go? You know, Steve, this has been a super interesting conversation. I, I learned a lot, you know, today from it, and and a lot of kind of your thoughts on coaching. I think are really really original. So, you know, thanks so much again for joining us. Really enjoyed having you on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having. me.